A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Two Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And this episode has been generously sponsored by a dedicated Jewish History Soundbites listener in honor of the yard site of the Satmarov, Rebellish Teitelbaum, Chaf Vav Av, which is tonight. So it's a very appropriate Malava Malka episode. Um, it also happens to be the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II. So that's uh, another topic we have to cover. Perhaps we'll have to wait till the uh, official end on September 2nd in a couple of weeks. Maybe um, we'll have an opportunity to speak about that. But today we'll focus on the Satmarov. as someone who I personally never cease to be uh, amazed by him. Um, definitely one of my favorite topics, his personality, his strong leadership, his vision. He's a builder. He was a father to his people. Uh, really, there's so much about him. He's endlessly fascinating. And um, we already had, last year on his yard site, Jewish History Soundbites had a uh, an episode on the Satmarov. So you might want to check that out as well, if you're listening to this one. So we'll hopefully cover uh, new material. But in, in that, uh, over the year, I've gotten um, uh, plenty of, responses from that one. It turns out people were listening to it throughout the year, and it was one fiasco from last year's episode of the Satmarov was my, uh, I think it was the only time I did it. I've made plenty of mistakes over the time, but it's the only time I actually, uh, you know, swallowed a an urban legend hook, line, and sinker, unfortunately. And that's when I incorrectly stated the origins of the name Satmar in Romanian, which in reality it means a village or a big village or something like that, and I incorrectly uh, restated an incorrect urban legend about the origins of the name. So if you happen to listen to last year's episode, then you, you know that I made the correction. Um, either way, um, so getting to the Satmarov, he's someone who who came in pop out of nowhere. He founded the Satmar Hasidus. He came from Siget. He, uh, he is a descendant of one of the most important Hasidic dynasties in Hungary, if not the most important. He was born in Siget in, in Transylvania, which sometimes was Hungary, sometimes was 
Romania. Today it's Romania again. He was born there in 1887. His father was on his second marriage. He, his father got a heter meyer to marry a second wife. His first wife, um, he did not have children, so he married a second wife. Um, and and uh, it was from that that his father had his entire family. And the Satmarav Rabbi was the youngest child of his parents. His father was Rabbi Hananya Yemtev Lipa Teitelbaum. His last name was Teitelbaum, not Katznell and Bogenstein. You know that in the Hasidic world, people always try to use artifacts from the previous Rebbes. They try to get a gartel or a hat or a chair or something from the and it's a holy uh, because the previous Rebbe uses. He can just imagine that by Rabbi Hananya Yemtev Lipa Teitelbaum, they probably wanted. The, the yarmulke of his, because it was probably a magic yarmulke. But either way, his father was the Segeta Rebbe, and, and, and it comes from the, again, the Teitelbaum dynasty. His, his father was the first Segeta Rebbe, Rabbi Kassil Yehuda Teitelbaum, who was the Yitavlev, the Satmar institution still today are named for him, um, the original Segeta Rebbe. And this, the Yitavlev, his father was Rebbe Eliezer Nissen Teitelbaum, who was a Rav in Drubitz in Galicia, actually, not in Hungary. And he, in turn, was the son of the founder of the dynasty, Ramesha Teitelbaum, the Yisnach Meisha of Il, who was a student of the Chais of Lublin, and the father of Hungarian Hasidus. So this dynasty has a long legacy in, in, in Hasidus, spreading Hasidus in Hungary, in the rabbinate in Hungary. They're all rab, rabbis of their communities as well, which was the custom in the Hungarian Hasidic world. And it also a long legacy of opposition to all expressions of modernity, of the Haskalah, the Enlightenment, the Neolog movement in, in Hungary, and later on Zionism. So the Satmarov was was born into a certain uh, atmosphere, a certain uh, worldview, and he didn't uh, he didn't create it on his own. And add to that the influence of people of the Satmarov's day, like the Minchas Elazar of Munkach and the Rebbe Rabbi Sachar Daiv of Bells, had on the ideology and outlook of the Satmarov, and that's um, and that's and that's what what greatly had an impact on on him and later on in his views. It's important to understand the background that he came from. And in that context, I want to point out that there's a fundamental difference between a Rav or Rebbe uh, in Hungary. At the time, in the pre-World War One, especially, but even in the interwar period, and and uh, and this and his counterpart in Poland, a rabbi in Satmar was a was a rabbi of a community who was a minority and very often a defensive minority, and and the majority of, of Hungarian Jewry was long either secular assimilated or neolog, which was. Which was in between stage, and uh, the Orthodox in general was a small minority, and not only were they a small minority, but they were divi- divided themselves. There were some Orthodox communities that remained within the mainstream community. There were other Orthodox communities that separated, and the whole idea of of the uh, Tailung, the separating the, from the community in Hungary. And then there was the status quo communities. I think I addressed in other episodes, I don't want to get into that. It's not my point here. I'm not giving a history of Hungarian Jewry. But the nature of the situation of a, of a Hasidic rabbi in Hungary is that he's 
on the defensive and therefore the therefore very uh defensive of tradition very defensive of um of of all you know very suspect of any modernist trends whereas in Poland until the interwar period they were very often the majority especially in the small towns and even in the big cities um until until the decades leading up to the second world war so being a comfortable majority in many areas is a, a very different experience and that's that explains very often the ideological differences between um hungarian uh, orthodox leaders or hasidic leaders and their counterparts in poland but that's also a a topic for greater discussion the satmar of himself we go back to him as a person as a as a personality so he he suffered a lot of uh, personal tragedy in his life he had three daughters from his first marriage and none from his second and uh, all three of his daughters passed away in his own lifetime without leaving any descendants he didn't have any descendants and none of them got killed in the holocaust even though he went through the war but they actually uh, passed away from natural tragedy two of them pre-war and one who lived in Israel passed away in 1953 and of course many of his relatives you know and uh, cousins and siblings were killed uh, during the war so he emerges in the post war with with uh, very little left of his own family no, nothing from his own descent no descendants of his own and uh, that's how he uh, set out to rebuild but before we get to his rebuilding I want to point out how much of a leader he was before the war um he was a ready a rashi shiva the yeshiva that he eventually built to be one of the largest in hungary over 300 students um where he would regularly deliver shiurim and uh and he saw himself at one one rabbinical meeting in the united states later on in life he uh, someone one of the other uh, rabbis at the meeting said that the satmarov is the quintessential rabbi community rabbi hasidic leader and the satmarov said what do you mean I'm also a teacher of Tyra. I've been a teacher of Tyra for over 60 years by now. And he actually became a rebbe in the yeshiva when he was I think before he was even 20 years old. He was like 19 or 20 when he first started giving regular shiur. In fact, when he arrived in the United States, he was invited in several yeshivas to deliver a shiur, to deliver a, a Gemara shiur. I think even in tells, I can't even just imagine uh what type of uh, interaction that must have been in this ultra uh Litvak uh, Litvishi Yeshiva and this Hungarian uh Rashishiva Rabbi giving a shear not only was the Yiddish very different in style but even the way of learning the way of giving a shear must have been so different but uh, he gave a shear there and he was brilliant Talmud Chacham who knew you know Kolatay Rakula and he and he gave shear and he even would test the students regularly in his yeshivas in other words he was very actively involved as an educator as a mechanach as a rebbe Uh, aside from his jobs as a community rabbi and a Hasidic rabbi and as a rabbi in Satmar of the community of Satmar which he he became a rabbi in he was a rabbi in several communities in Hungary but um when he became a rabbi in Satmar it was after a long and very controversial election battle it took three rounds of elections um to, to, in the community and it was very controversial and they claimed that the election was rigged and a whole controversy until he was able to establish himself as the rabbi of the community but he was very influential in the surrounding towns as well it wasn't limited strictly to satmar and he had a great influence on 
shaychtim and on the schools and on the rabbi appointments in in the whole area of uh, Carpathian uh, uh, Ruthenia in the area of Transylvania where he lived, in, which was Romania in, in the interwar period, um, as a as a as a rabbi, which led to his being saved during the war. Meaning he was a very influential figure and a very famous and prestigious uh, Hasidic leader already before the war. So. During the war, he was very active in in uh, first few years Hungary, when his area was transferred back to Hungary. So he was found himself in Hungary again. So he was outside of the war for most of the years of the war. So there was a stream of refugees of Polish Jews and Slovakian Jews who were refugees who had fled to the safety of Hungary, and he was very actively involved in in housing them and in helping them and literally feeding them um, for uh, during the several years of the war. And he escapes. When the Nazis invade Hungary, he escapes uh, first to Cluj, to Kloisenberg, where he wants to cross the border into Romania, but that's unsuccessful, and he eventually escapes on the Kastner train, which is definitely a story for another time, which hopefully we'll also get to. Eventually, he arrives in the United States. He spent about a year in, in Israel. First, he was in Switzerland at the end of the war, and then he moves to Israel, where he tries to set himself up, in the Beis Yisrael neighborhood, right down the block from where Mir Yeshiva is uh, today in Yerushalayim. And he comes uh, about a year later to the United States, to, primarily to fundraise. He was left without any funding uh, to rebuild in Israel. So he comes to America to fundraise, and he decides to settle there. And he settles down in Williamsburg, where he barely had a minion. His gabai had to go out to the streets of Williamsburg to to ask, to beg people to join a minion. In fact, one time uh, someone said to him, Rabbi, this is not working. You should probably find another job. You see, we can't even get you a minion for Mincha. And that's the situation. You look at the numbers of Satmar and the infrastructure of Satmar today, it's hard to believe that a story like that actually happened. And he was known uh, primarily for his uh, very uh, extreme stance uh, against Zionism. In fact, it went so far as in the in the wake of the 1967 Six-Day War, when there was like this overall euphoria of, of victory, of, you know, that the, a second Holocaust was averted, and everyone was celebrating, even uh, people who were nominally opposed to Zionism and the secular state. And he uh, alone, among others, he was very rational about the situation, and he was very wary that people were going to get carried away with this victory. And he sat down and wrote, um, he was, in, you know, people asked him, there was this whole story of how people begged him for guidance and during this during this confusing time, and he wrote the Sefer, his second Sefer, this is after he had written his more famous Sefer of Vayoyal Maisha, he wrote Al HaGa'ul of Al Atmura. And this was to keep strong even during a time of the post-Six-Day War when everyone felt that something messianic must have happened here and the Satmarov stood strong in his stance and said, no, I still, uh, I never get carried away. If I believe something is the truth, then I keep it till the end. And in that, in that, in that sense, he in many ways felt very alone and even abandoned uh, by many others who he felt would stand strong in, in the positions in the ideological positions and expressions of uh, their uh, of uh, of uh, opposition to the secular state and opposition to the Zionist ideal, and he felt that he was the only one who was stayed in that in that position, and he couldn't believe it. 
that uh, others uh, strayed in his view from that position. He uh, on his um, on his visit to and his when he was lived in Eretz Yisrael for that year, he went to speak with the Belzer Rebbe, Rabbi Aaron of Bells, and he met with him. And uh, Rabbi Aaron of Bells wasn't as extreme in his anti-Zionism as his father, Rabbi Sachar Daiv of Bells, was. And Satmarav said his greatest disappointment during his time in Eretz Yisrael was that he was unable to convince the Belzer Rebbe to his side. How could the Belzer Rebbe, who is the son of Rabbi Sachar Daiv, who is known in Galicia for his uh, positions, his very anti-Zionist uh, ideological stance, how could it be that his son is straight and is leaving me alone like that? And that's what the reason for also his uh, his uh, dispute with his cousin, who was, he was very close with before the war, the Kleisenberger Rebbe, Rabbi Kassil Yehuda Alberstam, who also softened his stance in the post-war, and, and he was even involved in building up a community in Netanya and building a hospital, and the Kleisen, and the Satmarov couldn't believe it. And, uh, and, and there, was, there was a pretty serious dispute as a result. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't handle it that he, was, that he felt very alone. And uh, sometimes I wonder about that, that feeling of aloneness and, and how, he, how he dealt with that and how he was able to, to remain with it and not compromise even one bit, even though he felt like he was going against the whole world. In 1948, when the UN announced uh, the vote uh, in support of the partition plan, Sir Shraga Feivel Mendelovich, the legendary architect of Torah in the United States, who was also Hungarian and, uh, and was acquainted with the Satmarov. And Rabbi Shraga Feivel was, had a very pro-Zionist stance. And Rabbi Shraga Feivel made a bracha hatoiva, meitiv or shechiyanu, some, uh, some bracha expressing his excitement and happiness about the UN vote. And when the Satmarov heard about it, he went and traveled to Rabbi Shraga Feivel, wasn't a big travel. They were both in Williamsburg at the time, and um, and uh, and and he said, to, and he started yelling at him. How could you do that? How could you be excited? How could you be happy about it? And he just went on a full tirade. He wouldn't give up on anyone. If he heard someone uh, in, who, in his view, strayed, he would go to him. Afterwards, they asked him, Shagafiva, why didn't he answer him? He didn't say anything in back. He sat there listening to everything the Satmarov said. And the Shagafiva said, I had what to answer. I had answers for all his claims. But how could you answer the Satmarov? The Satmarov, when he speaks strong and he speaks truth, you can't just uh, answer him like that. Um, he, he uh, in, in a 1958 visit to London, and the, the Satmarov knew how to balance his, his opposition. He knew when to be in, in the opposition, and, and it was very balanced. It wasn't without any uh, calculations, and he did it exactly as he understood it to be, and, and this story illustrates that. In 1958, he was visiting London, and Harry Goodman, Mr. Harry Goodman, who was the head of the British uh, branch of Aguda Sistro, one of the world leaders of the Aguda, he mentioned in an Aguda newspaper publication how the Satmarov had once donated $2,500 to Chinuch which was the educational school system that was supported by the Agudas Yisrael, and which was an astronomical sum for the mid-1950s. Um, so a member of the Neture Karta came to the Satmarov and said that the Aguda newspaper is making up lies and stories about the Satmarov, terrible things. How would the Satmarov donate to an Aguda, uh, uh, Agudas Yisrael 
school system which received money from the Zionist government and taught secular studies and all kinds of terrible things there. There's no way that the Satan Rav would have donated money there. And the Satan Rav said, no, the newspaper is true. I did donate that money. How could the Satan Rav donate money? So he said, I'll tell you, there's two reasons. He said, before you criticize something, it has to be pure criticism. So first I support I'm showing my financial support. So any criticism I say afterwards is purely because I care. Because this is something that I support. And the second reason is, is that my opposition to Chinuch is that religious parents should not send to Chinuch They should send to Chinuch Al-Tahar to pure, not receiving any money from the government and not teaching any secular studies. But there are plenty of people out there who Chinuch is perfect for. And they should be sending their children. And it's very useful for them. So I need to support it. And he, um, he, he uh, part of his, his, his opposition in, in the United States to the Agudas Rabbanim, who he felt were not you know, uh, strong enough on certain stances in, in uh, Yiddishkeit. So he started his own Agudas Rabbanim, which he called the Hisachtas Rabbanim. He started his own institutions, his own girls' schools. Everything he did on his own and, re- and built from scratch. He was the inspiration for literally innum- numerous uh, chesed uh, institutions, stucca institutions. He was involved with the founding of Hatzalah. It was a chesed of his who approached him and told him a story about how he was standing in shul when his friend had a heart attack and it took so long for the ambulance to arrive and as a result his friend had passed away. And he was thinking maybe he should organize a group of volunteers who know how to give emergency medical assistance. And the Satmarov says, you should start it. And the one who should start it is you. Go ahead and organize it. Don't just talk. Don't just say it needs to be done. Go ahead and I back you and I support you. And the Satmarov said not only that, but he opens up a Rabbeinu Yoyna and Sharei Tshuva. And he points and he says, the Rabbeinu Yoyna says that every community should have a group of people who are involved in Hatzalah who are involved in helping people with any issue that needs to be done. And he says, you should call your organization Hatzalah. So he not only started Hatzalah, but he gave it its name that it has till this very day. And he's literally the father of numerous chesed institutions, Staka. And, and I mean, Satmars till today, they're known for their chesed. The people who you think that on one hand, they're so ideologically opposed to all kinds of uh, uh, um, others, and yet they're the ones who are the initiators and the ones at the forefront of every type of chesed and staka. And that's because of the leadership of the Satmarov and the way he saw things. He was a rationalist. He was not one of those rebbes who are into maifsim, into miracle workers. He was very proud of the education that he gave to his chassidim. He once said that if any other rebbe would, all, would sit down by their tish and they would start eating chazer, they would eat pig, God forbid, so his Hasidim would say that, you know something, he's really eating something kosher. It's not really pig. That's how they would, that's how they would wish it away. He said, but if I would, I would do that, I would eat chazer at my tish. You know what my Hasidim would do? They would start yelling at me and they would say, Shegetz, why are you eating that? He says, because I educated my Hasidim to do the right thing. He once was at a Purim Suda, and uh, there was a badchen there. There was a uh, someone who was a professional jokester. Satmarov, by the way, himself had a phenomenal sense of humor, and he uh, and he asked permission. This badchen asked Satmarov permission if he can 
imitate the Satmarov in the spirit of Purim and being funny. And the Satmarov said, go ahead. And he started mimicking the Satmarov how he did the Hashanis, how he waved the Lulav and how he shuckled back and forth and, and cried and he did a perfect imitation. And the Satmarov in the middle of this performance, he starts to cry. And the guy feels really bad. He says, I must have done the wrong thing here. So he apologizes and he says, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I hope the Rebbe forgives me. And he says, no, no, you were great. In fact, you mimicked me so well that I started to think to myself, perhaps when I get up there on Hishana Rabbah and I do it, maybe I'm just mimicking myself from the way I did it last year. And it's not for real. So I started to cry. He was nominally in charge of the Eid Haredis in Yerushalayim. And therefore, at one point, when Rav Pinchas Epstein, the previous head of the Besdin, passed away, so he recommended that the head of the Manchester Besdin, a Hungarian Holocaust survivor who was a tremendous Paisik, Rabbi Yaakov Yitzchak Weiss, the Minchas Yitzchak, he be appointed to be the head of the Eida Haredis. So the Eida Haredis, they said, look, he might be a big Talmud Chacham and a Paisik, but we're the Eida Haredis. We need someone who is a big Kanoi, who is an extremist who can fight the battles. And the Satmarov said, no, 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 no. We need to upgrade the Eida Haredis to be a real important Besdin with, which, which, in, which is leading in all halachic areas. He envisioned that the Eid which today it does because of the Menchas Yitzchak, in Mikvais, in Eruv, in Kashrus, and all kinds of things. And that's due to the revolution that the Menchas Yitzchak did in the Eid And the Satmarov wanted that. So he said, to create a Talmud Chacham like the Menchas Yitzchak will take decades. But to make him into a Kanoi, we could do that overnight. We can turn him into an ideological extremist overnight. Don't worry, that's easy. He was a very practical person, like I said, when he used to vacation in Florida, Sir Rabbi Wine. Rabbi Wine was the rabbi in Florida in the 1960s in Miami Beach. So he told Rabbi Wine practical rabbinical advice. He said, when I was a young rabbi in Hungary, so I got caught off guard because they found a, a, uh, something that was wrong in the Sefer Torah, a psal in the Sefer Torah, when they were reading it on Shabbos. And I needed to paskin on it, and I didn't have the uh, the halacha in my back pocket about a Sefer Torah, which is like an awkward position for a young Rav. He said, you're a young Rav, get the halachas of the Sefer Torah down pat so that you're confident when you get up there on the spot, you're put on the spot, you don't have time to lose, and it's a pressured situation, you should be able to have all the, uh, all the be ready for any situation. That was the practical rabbinical advice that he gave. He was a real... A realist who knew how to lead his Hasidim in the practical challenges of life. And, um, and it's interesting because I've spoken to many people who knew him and they describe him as, as an angelic figure, the way he looked and something like an otherworldly appearance. I've spoken to people who actually interacted with him. And, and it's amazing that someone like that, someone who was so holy and otherworldly was the most practical and real grounded person at the same time. Um, he he expressed his dream and the vision to build a community outside of New York City, and it shouldn't be with the distractions of the city, and that's what he eventually wanted to do, and he lobbied for years, and it was a difficult process. It was uh, very you know, challenging to be able to buy the land and to be able to build it up, and what he said in the beginning, people thought it was impossible to be able to create a community upstate that would be a self-contained city, only Satmar, 
And he, he saw it, he believed it, and he didn't live to see it to total fruition, but he lived it in the beginning stages, the early stages. He actually moved there at the end of his life, literally the last months of his life. And when he originally said, told his Hasidim of the idea, he said, I want the shul in Kiryas to be bigger than the Rodney Street shul. And people heard that. How could, how could it be bigger than the Rodney Street shul? Nothing's bigger than that. And how are you going to have enough people for that? But his vision was uh, went, went way beyond any anything that uh, people could believe at the time. And today we look back and we're not even impressed by the vision because we take it for granted. Um, but uh, but none of these things should be taken for granted. So there's definitely a lot more to say about the Satmaro, but I guess we'll have to wait for next year's yard site and we'll keep this going for 10 years or so until we cover the whole story of the Satmaro. So this was Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, sponsorships, and uh, lectures. And um, you can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.